Welcome to Real Life, the program that talks about the life of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond. The people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate with your host, broker associate of Sotheby's International Realty, John Christopher. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher. And today I have one of Shelter Island's top brokers, Susan Sincata. Hey, Susan, how are you today? I'm well, I'm well. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm so happy you're on the program. It's been a while since the last time you were on, but, you know, a lot of stuff has happened. But before we talk about uh, what's happening in Shelter Island and the North Fork, um, how long have you lived on Shelter Island? Um, I used to summer here in the 70s. And then I started full-time the mid-80s, and I've been here ever since. And in real estate, in one form or another, all the way through since then. So when you say real estate, were you in real estate before you came to Shelter Island? I was, uh, well, it's a funny story. I wanted to have a year-round rental because my fiancé wanted to be a lobsterman and leave New York and and work on the water. So I thought it was best rather than take the big plunge to start by renting like many people do in real estate, they rent Mm -hmm. first. So in order to find an affordable year round rental because we lived in Manhattan and and had a budget, uh, I got to know everyone in every rental. Hmm. And so I got a um, long story short, when when I moved here in 85, after we were married, I got an AA job for Ferry Hills Associates. They had a spinoff, Gardner's Bay Realty, which was in Peconic on the North Fork. And I worked in that capacity. Then when we had that big crash in the late 80s, I went to being a property manager working for a construction company and also uh, working on a real estate trust, which had many buildings to rebuild and to rent and to take care of. And then um, Alan Schneider wanted to open office on Shelter Island and they hired me by reputation to take them through that process. And the partners saw me, you know, changing the agent's show list. Don't show them that, show them this and said, we have good news and bad news. The bad news is we're firing you. The good news is you're, you're going to be one of our top producers, you know, a lot of people, you know, the land, you know, the layout and the real estate. So they sponsored me and I stayed with Alan Schneider um, through a couple of moves here. And then, um, of course, I, I went to other agencies and now I'm in my own agency, Susan Sincata. I'm a real estate broker and an individual independent broker. Fantastic. Now, when you said that Alan Schneider, did you ever meet him or was that? Of course. Well, I knew him. He had passed. But I was very good friends with his executor. Um, But I knew him in the young days. I used to see him in, uh, oh, all the watering holes in Bridgehampton. And we used to call him Slippers because he always wore those beautiful (laughs) embroidered slippers. Oh, Slippers is here. You know, Truman Capote, Slippers. You know, in my very early days, I probably shouldn't have even been there. But we would say anywhere, no specific names. Right. (laughs) But we all had a good time. I suffered here. So you knew everyone. And he was very nice and very sharing. 
and he wanted to know about people. And I think that's one of the reasons he was so successful is once you met him, he, he registered that, you know, oh, she's from Shelter Island and, you know, all of that. But he was very nice, but not part of my hiring. I was hired by the partners who uh, opened the Shelter Island office with a manager named Jane Harrison, who has recently passed away. Mm. We're having her memorial um, on Thanksgiving here on Shelter Island. She right. passed away in Michigan. She went back to Michigan and um, and her, uh, her ashes will be here. Oh. She's a very sweet lady and... Uh, Took me through that whole that whole process. So, have you seen uh, Shelter Island um, change uh, since you first got there in the eighties? To in today? some ways, yes, and in other ways, thankfully, no. I I think that Shelter Island is very fortunate to have the people who take responsibility in government and in voting. And in paying attention, when I first came here, even as a year-round renter, they said you have to vote. And everybody said voting because people don't pay as much attention as they should. But here, a couple of single votes could change things. So you really get into that very quickly. And it's manageable because it's so small. We were really saved from change by the Nature Conservancy, the largest conservation organization in the world. They bought Mashamic Preserve for a then unheard of price of nearly $9 million in the 80s. Everybody on the South, North, and Shelter Island contributed. It was a huge force. And they own approximately one-third of the island. And there are other larger holdings that are real estate owned, you know, their their land. And we do pay attention to what happens on that land so that the species other than humans have a place to live too. So with that as a constant and a, and a conservation-minded constituency, we are fortunate with the 2% money to use it wisely, to really think about it. And now they're labeling it and putting up signs. I'm not a big fan of those things. They know that. I, I like nature to just look like nature with undisturbed, but they want to point out to the people who live here and who pay the 2% what they're doing with their, the money. And I get that, you know, uh, you know, I accept it. And we're really zoning ahead of the curve. You know, they, they went to two acre zoning years before other towns and they followed the examples that were, conservation-minded by other towns. So I think that for the most part, we're okay because we're small and manageable. Right. You know, it's interesting you were saying, I've always uh, advocated with uh, people that are coming out here um, to transfer, well, not transfer is the word I'm looking for, change their registration, their voter registration. That's a great idea. Because, you know, a lot of the people come out of Manhattan and, and the vote in Manhattan it doesn't count as much as you just said, you know, it's like uh, sometimes the, the difference is, you know, one or two votes or 10 votes or 20 votes. Absolutely. And I think more people should have a voice in the local government, you know, even though they're here seasonally, but I see a lot more people and that's, I'm sure you see this too, that. Taxes know. don't diminish. You just pay your full tax. Yeah, that's true. And, yeah. and I cannot bear the us and them mentality. I just think it's we, we all. Yeah. 
We all who love shelter. I, I like people who are want to be locals. They're not locals, of course. They think they are. But, you know, I've been told until my great, 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 great grandchildren marry into a family that's been here 400 years, you right. can't dare call yourself You'll a local. You'll never be a hair laker, right? I'm a year rounder. A hair laker is not a local. That's a person who's actually been born on Shelter Island. That's what a hair laker is. Oh, right. Like a, yeah. a boniker, <laughs> you know. But, um, you know, if you if you were born in a hospital and you've been here 300 years, you're not a hair legger. But right. I digress. Right. But I you agree digress. with you. Well, that's, that brings us to the point of ferries. You know, do you ever uh, feel isolated because of the ferries? No, no, no. Not, not okay. a, I feel I empowered. always did. You know, I'm doing I'm a play in Southampton. I'm showing properties on the North Fork. I'm in the perfect, perfect place. I can hop on a ferry either way at any time. Well, no, I'm. you just have to be Cinderella. After midnight, it gets a little tricky. You need a boat of your own because the ferry companies, um, unless it's an emergency, they don't run, you know, really basically past midnight. South Ferry on the weekends runs later than that. And you can look up their schedule, South or North Ferry, on their websites. But, you know, I'm just talking in general. Right. Now, you said about performances uh, in Southampton. You're an actress and, or you were an actress and still are, right? Yeah. Um, I, I did on Shelter Island a new play for the Historical Society, Hill of Beans. And that was wonderful. You can look that up on their website. And now it's Miracle on 34th Street. And Perfect last season. night in rehearsal, the director basically said, Our goal is to have everyone in the audience leave absolutely, positively, and completely joyously happy. That's your job. Where's the performance? Southampton Cultural Center. I'm going to put the poster up right here if you give me a sec. Well, no, we're on on radio. No, I see that. But uh, on radio, uh, no one can see that. Oh, sorry about that. It's (laughs) December 3rd through 5th and 10th through 12th. Friday at 7, Saturday at 2 and 7.30, and Sundays at 2 and 7.30. Great. That's fantastic. No, now, Sundays at 2 and 5. My bad. Okay. But I anyway. needed my glasses. <laughs> <laughs> That's another thing. You know, it takes well, long. You know, when you're young, you can do anything. Exactly. So Shelter Island is a secondary market like uh, the Hamptons. How was the rental season this year compared with last year during the pandemic? The pandemic, I was one of those people who had a lot of rentals online. I worked for uh, Daniel Gale Sotheby's at that time. I worked for them for nearly 10 years, and I was one of their top producers for many of those years. And uh, I was starting to get calls at 3 in the morning, and it didn't end till 11. Texas calls, emails. I had six yellow pages. You know you know those um, clipbook, yellow pad? Yep. Six of those back in front with new rental customers. And I rented everything. It just, and it never stopped. And there's stories you had to stay on. For me, my choice was to listen, to help, to be the source who gives them the source of everything they need. Their comfort level was to be higher when they left me than, than when they called me. Gotcha. No matter what the you know outcome of the conversation, whether there were rentals available or not, but the problem was there were too many, too much demand and not enough supply. That is true today too. Did you have uh, any unseen uh, uh, rentals? Did you have any unseen where people said, "We just want to 
We don't. Oh, absolutely. Oh, most of them, 90 percent of them with me. I'm only talking about my personal experience would be they they called me. Most people either knew of me or had a referral. That's kind of how I work. You know, so and so told me, you know, that I I could trust you and you would find me in place. And, you know, I'd say, oh, my gosh, I've known so and so for years. I rented and sold and blah, blah, blah. So that they had a good fit. You right. know, but did I, you have any problems? I know uh, a number of the agents over on the, uh, the South Fork had problems. You know, some you know people came out and they were disappointed. You know that. Uh, oh, and I was very fortunate because of working in a lot of ways on the you know referral basis. Not only, of course, anybody can call me cold, but if you give me about twenty minutes, I'm usually pretty good at finding a place. I've I've never. In my memory, I don't remember anyone ever walking into a place and saying, I can't take this. But I have a lot of people who walk into a place that they rented through others or through online or whoever who call me and say, I'm not renting that. Find me a place this weekend. I have to move. Short uh, uh, period of time. And I want to ask your your thoughts about sales. Um, Do you still see it going up? No. No. I, be, I, I charter, I'm a charter, you know, I, I'm always doing the math. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I see right now, and don't mind my hands here, uh, the South Fork does this, as does the North Fork, not as much, you know, and Shelter Island basically goes up and levels, goes up and levels, goes up and levels. So those are your three different markets. But, but right now, it's a value-based market where the most, if you go to a coffee shop, what you're hearing mostly is it didn't appraise. It didn't appraise things like that, especially on the North Fork. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but uh, if someone had more questions for you and uh, obviously they will, uh, how could they reach you? Oh, Susan Sincott at gmail.com S U S A N C I N C O T T A or 631-514-9891. Great. Susan Sincata, it's been a delight. We're going to have to have you come back again because you have more to talk about. And this is John Christopher for Real Life, broadcasting in the wonderful village of Southampton, New York, on the only NPR station on Long Island. Stay tuned to where you are, WLIW 88.3 FM, because we'll be right back with our next guest. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is John Christopher. And today I have with me a top broker for Saunders, Diane Sachi. Hi, Diane. How are you? I'm good, John. How are you? I'm doing great. Now that I have you here, I, it couldn't oh, be better. So- you know, uh, so- one, before we uh, get get into real estate, you were in, into uh, psychology. Do you think that, that background had been helpful or has been helpful to you in real estate? Um, yes. Uh, on a number of counts. One one of the things, so you won't know it from the next 14 minutes, is that I, I've been taught to listen and not talk so much. And um, one of the tricks in our business is to keep your mouth shut and listen to your clients. It's probably true in a lot of businesses, but particularly ours. So I, I always say when I'm with a customer, if I'm talking, I'm not doing my job. Yeah, it's so true. It's a, um, you know, some, a mentor once told me, that, you know, God gave us uh, two ears and one mouth. And there was a purpose mm-hmm. for that. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, 
let's talk about the psychological aspects of furniture, right? Which uh, we've all had experiences. How does the sale of a house get complicated when you throw into the pot the sale of furniture? I, I say nothing can ruin a deal faster than talking about furniture. And I have a couple of theories about why why that's the case. Um, and it's, you know, sometimes it it's what those theories hold up and other times not. But, but I think the overriding thing is that making a real estate deal is totally exhausting for the parties involved. The buyers feel like they've paid too much and they've gotten taken and the sellers think that they didn't sell, that they didn't pay get enough money for it. And, um, you know, they say that it's a deal works if everyone feels a little bit miserable. Well, in comes the furniture and somehow that's supposed to be the leveler. It's supposed to make the buyer feel like he or she is getting something in exchange for paying too much. And the seller goes to that experience thinking that, well, whatever money I didn't make in the sale, I'll make up for in the furniture. So you have people who are looking for the same object um, and one sees it as something that should be given to them for free as a gift for having paid so much for the house. And the other sees it as uh, payment to make up for the fact that I let the house go so inexpensively. So I think that, that negotiation is, um, you know, kind of already wrought with some problems. And then there's usually the idea that the buyer doesn't really want the furniture, but it would be handy to have it. To them, it doesn't work. It's old. It's smelly. It's junky. But at least I can use it until I get the good stuff. Whereas the seller perceives it as brand new furniture, even if it's 60 years old, they remember the day they bought it. They've That's taken true. good care of it. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. However, they don't want it anymore, but it's still really wonderful. So people are coming at this from very different angles and there are no guidelines. There's nothing that we can do as a broker to say, well, that couch is worth you know $45 or it's worth $4,500. So we're kind of at, a, we don't know what to do with it, um, nor should we. It takes an awful lot of time for something that we don't get paid for. And I'm not here to complain about the extra work because it's not part of the commission. It's not, it's, it's, it's tedious and it, it, you're trading in a commodity that has no value and you know nothing about it. So that even if you could help, you really don't know how to help. Um, so it, it's a burden on us. And then the lawyers, um, if they know about it, find it really difficult because if you're selling furniture, you have to collect sales tax so that everything has to be scheduled and valued. Um, and often all of that effort is not worth the cost of what it is that's being traded. So It's so, it's so true. You know, you, you, you have a terminology uh, called, what is it? Trans, trans, uh, what is it? Not uh, transitional. Sorry. Uh, oh, a, 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 a transitional object. Yes. Can you yes. Uh, elaborate on that? Sure. Um, in, in, so you really paid attention when you read that blog. Um, <laughs> in, in psychology, there's something some, called a transitional object. And, it, you know, I probably the one we're all f- so familiar with is Snoopy's blanket. Um, and we can remember in our own lives or our children's lives having, you know, a, a teddy bear, a doll or some kind of thing that they we took with us wherever we went. Um, is a way to kind of quell anxiety. It's something familiar you hold on to. Um, and it, um, it, it sort of allows you to really literally uh, transition from one experience or place to another. Um, and I say that if you know, people don't remember 
the, their blanket or whatever they called it. Mine was a tickle you, but we won't go into that. Um, <laughs> um, I, I remind people to think about their cell phone or their smartphone now as a trans- transitional object. It's something we have all the time. And if there's a moment when we don't have it, we get anxious. And, you know, for all sorts of reasons, but we get into a panic. But really, it's an object that we take with us and it allows us to be in touch and to feel comfortable. Um, so the, so people get attached to furniture. I mean, like if it's a mom's uh, chair and it's like, oh, that had, you know, it could be all dumpy, but still there's something there that's emotionally uh, of value. Yeah. You know, it, it's symbolic of the time when you went shopping or the work with the decorator who picked it out or the conversation you had with your spouse about, you know, does it match or what should we get? Or did it come from my apartment before we were married to your apartment? I mean, every little thing seems to have some some semblance to it. And it, it it's like um, at the greatest ex- extreme hoarders, for example, um, collect things and can't get rid of them. And it's a way that they deal with really pathological anxiety. But it's just an, ex- you know, the other extreme of the little baby's blanket. Um, where, you know, these objects in your life have some meaning greater than what they really are. And, you know, I, when I, someone says to me, you know, but that sofa is brand new. And, and I said, but you bought it 30 years ago. What do you mean new? Oh, but, you know, we've kept it very clean. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's, you know, it's one of those eye of the beholder. With, so how and, do you get, get over the hump of the, uh, the furniture? I mean, do we just say... Uh, <laughs> Well, I, I, I think my um, um, sort of uh, reaction when people start t- talking about furniture is so, so extreme that they're afraid to bring it up with me. <laughs> However, um, what I, I always suggest that it not be discussed until there's a, a until there's an, um, a committed deal, like the contract is fully executed. And then I, my suggestion at that point is that the seller if they're not taking the furniture with them all or some of it, that they call one of these tag sale estate content sale experts to come in and arrange for the tag sale and then let the buyer have first shot at all the items. So they have like a preview the day before the sale or whatever time before the sale. And instead of paying the seller for it, that they end up paying the, the tag sale person. Right, which that, costs a good idea. Yeah, great. It, it, it's it's a little bit less money to the seller because they have to pay the tax sale person, but you have somebody who's objective in the middle of it, and you don't have to put it in the contract, and you don't have to schedule it, and you don't have to pay tax. Um, which, you know, once you get the attorneys involved, if you, which they hate to do, I mean, they when they hear furniture, they want to like you know say you got the wrong number, call another attorney, um, but they. Their hourly, if you're paying on an hourly basis, their hourly rate to work all that out is way more than you're going to get from the furniture anyway. So, you know, like leave that out right. and just go let, let an expert handle it. I, it doesn't I, always work that way because the seller, the buyer of the house kind of wants a lot of the stuff for free. <laughs> now, I, I updated that, that blog because COVID has kind of um, thrown um, uh, sort of a um, a monkey wrench into this whole system. Usually, um, and I tell sellers this all the time when they're getting ready to pack up to leave, they don't, they're overwhelmed by, often overwhelmed by all this stuff and they don't know what to do with it. If they're going to another house and if they have the means, 
I suggest that they get rid of everything. That usually what happens is you pay to move it, you pay to store it, you pay to move it to your next house, and then you have the tag sale because it doesn't work. So skip all those steps and make believe when you get to the next house, you're just going to buy, you know, all new furniture, which you're probably going to do anyway. Yeah, um, in which you're case, saving a lot of angst too. I mean, it, sure. You know, it's like, you know, you think, you know, that hutch is going to be perfect in the next house and you spend, you know, days looking for a house that has a wall big enough for the hutch <laughs> and you get it there and it doesn't work anyway. Right. So, you know, I thought I measured it this right. <laughs> right. And it doesn't look right because that house was modern and this is traditional. It's, you know, and I'm talking about, you know, when people have the means to do that, I'm not talking about for most people who really need to keep their furniture because it's expensive and they're going to reuse it. Um, but if that's the case, you may as well, after you sign the contract, figure out some way to dispose of the furniture that's easy on everybody and gets you the most amount of money. And having a tag sale would do that. Right. Okay. Um, uh, but uh, I mentioned in um, that COVID um, caused some problems, and that is because it takes so long to get new furniture now, buyers want to keep the furniture that's in the house because it could take months or years to you know, totally decorate. Oh, true. Um, yeah. They want it for free because they really don't like it. And the sellers, for the same reason, want to take it with them because if they don't, when they get to their new house, they'll have to wait a long time for furniture. So yeah. now both parties want it. And it's made things a bit more complicated. Jeez. Let's talk about some of the shortcuts in this market. Um, you know, with inventory so low and the bidding wars and, and the multiple services taking longer to happen, like appraisers or backed up surveyors and under underwriters are being swamped. Yes. Do you have any thoughts about how you can move deals along more expeditiously? And what do you consider the should haves and the must haves? Well, it depends if you're if there's um, you're talking to me as the seller's broker or the buyer's broker. Okay. <laughs> uh, um, one of the things that sort of slowed everybody down recently is the requirements in most municipalities to get a certificate of an updated certificate of occupancy on the transfer of real estate. Um, and even if it's not required, all of the local attorneys want it. The problem with it these days is that there's a lot more transfers and not necessarily more staff in the building departments, actually probably less staff in the building departments. So it takes longer to get through that process. And we don't have any more surveyors than we did before COVID, but we have lots more need for surveys. So it's taking a great deal of time to update a CO. And one of the things a number of buyers have done to put themselves ahead of the other competitive um, competing buyers is to say, I'll take it as is. I don't need an updated CO. Um, it usually kind of calls, costs their attorney a great deal of agita um, because you don't really know what you're buying when you don't get your CO updated. Um, but a number of buyers are willing to do that so they get ahead of the line and get deals. And if as a uh, seller's, um, if I'm representing a seller, I think that's terrific yeah. because whatever issues there are, you know, they're not going to be your seller's problem. They're going to be the buyer's problem. Um, as a, when I'm working with a buyer on the buyer's side, I'm not really happy about it. But if I, as a broker, say don't do that, the chances are in some cases they may not get the deal. Right. Because uh, right. so many people at low inventory, people are out there looking, you know. So right. anyway, how can somebody, uh, uh, I'm sure people have more questions. How can they uh, reach you, Diane? 
the best way is my email, which is ds, as in Diane Sachi, at saunders.com. I'm pretty good at responding quickly. Fantastic. Diane Sachi, it's always great having you on this program. This is John Christopher for Real Life, and it's amazing we're wrapping up our 10th year together. As they say, time does fly. I want to thank you all for sharing your time and supporting this program on WLIW 88.3 FM, the only NPR station on Long Island. I look forward to seeing you in the spring. And in the meantime, have an awesome journey. You have been listening to Real Life the program that talks about the people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond with host John Christopher, who also created the music for real life. WLIWFM's Delaney Hafner and Kyle Lynch provide production support. Thank you for joining us for Real Life right here on listener-supported 88.3 WLIWFM Long Island's only NPR station, which you can also find on your favorite streaming apps and at WLIW.org radio.